0: Okay, today we want to continue where we were in chapter 12 of the book of John. Jesus has told them what's going to be happening. He's let them in on his plan. We talked about our testimony, the power of our testimony, and what it means to say what we believe. Now, today Jesus is going to go on, and he's going to explain further what's about to happen in the next six days. We are six days away from the Passover, six days away from the betrayal of Jesus, We have just seen the triumphal entry, and today we're going to be looking at exactly what we should think about when it comes to our lives, our times. This is very similar to a question I was asked at the University of Houston, so they kind of dovetail together. In life, there are many things that we have to consider, many questions we have to answer that are important, and we need to look at three critical concerns, three critical considerations as to how we deal with the issues of life. So we are in the book of John, chapter 12, beginning at verse 23. I warn you up front, we're going to skip a little bit around some side issues. This is a very long passage. Not all of it is directed at this consideration, this idea. So we're going to skip a few verses here and there. Please feel free to go back, read the whole ending from 23 through 50, and you'll see the few verses I did leave out, only from the point of getting to these three critical considerations about how we live our lives. So John 12, beginning verse 23, there is a price to love. Love requires a price. Any married man, any married woman knows that when you love someone, you pay a price for that love. It is not cheap. It is not easy. It is not free. If you have children or God help you, grandchildren, you know there is a price to pay for love. John 12:23. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Let's stop right there. Some strong words from Jesus. He is saying that's it. Mary has just anointed his feet and he says she has anointed my feet for my burial, for my death. He has said many times, I am going to die, I am going to die. The disciples were not listening very carefully because they kept saying, no Lord, this is not going to happen. But Mary anoints his feet with a very expensive spikenard because she believes the time has come for Jesus to die. He says, my hour has come when the Son of Man will be glorified. He gives the illusion of Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. We know when you plant a seed that literally dies, and out of it comes a crop of plants. Jesus is saying one man's life, one woman's life, by itself is just one life. But when you sacrifice that life, when you sacrifice for love, that many things happen. All of you can think of people who have loved you in your life who have loved you and sacrificed for you and given to you, who've been there when you needed them, and how their love usually affects more than just one person. You know, the way you treat your wife, gentlemen, influences everybody that sees that. Ladies, the way you treat your husband influences many people around you. The way you take care of your children, the way you raise your children, the way you prize your children and pray for your children influences countless individuals. If I say, what does a father look like? Many people will point to their own father. Others will point to a stepfather or they will point to a grandfather. They will point to someone who typifies for them what it means to be a fatherly image. That's what's going on right here. Jesus is going to tell them, I have to die because when I die, more will come from my death than you can possibly imagine. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it. This word hate doesn't mean, oh, I hate my existence. Oh, I hate everything about my life. It means the one who sees his life as less important than what he is doing, less important than why he lives. Gentlemen, who do we live for? Do we live just to please ourselves, to do what makes us happy? Do we live only for what we consider to be important? No, of course not. We live for the good of our families, whether that be a wife, children, mother, father, sisters, brothers. We live for them. We live to do good to those who are around us. Can I get an amen, please? Because here's the thing. When you live your life only for you, you are a selfish individual. We could point to many people in the news right now who are selfish individuals who care only about themselves and care nothing for the misery they inflict on other people, those who don't take consideration for what goes on around them. So you see, if we love this world, but don't hold it as the most precious thing, then we are free to do and go beyond that. The one who puts other things ahead of his own life, his own pleasure, his own desires, he will keep that life for eternal life. Luke 9 says this, Luke 9, 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And what profit does it for a man who gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes to his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What Jesus was saying is this, if you do only what is best for you, and not what is best for the kingdom of God, not what is best for your relationship with God, then, of course, you have nothing. You only have yourself, but the people who sacrifice. And think about this. You know people like this. You know people who sacrifice their own time, their own energy, their own passions. They sacrifice for others. You know, Hap was in this church For years and years and years, and he would sacrifice for the good of this church because this church was reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people who sacrificially give of their time, whether to teach Sunday school or to play music or to help us keep the church from falling down around us. People who give and sacrifice during VBS time. People who give all that time and effort. Why? Because they want other people to know about Jesus Christ. That's what it means to lose your life, to set the things of the kingdom of God ahead of yourself. There are people who wake up in the morning at three o'clock and they go to the gym and after the gym, they put on their very expensive suits and they go to jobs and they wheel and they deal and they make fortunes and they lose fortunes and they do all of these things for themselves to build their own empire. And there are those who do exactly the same thing, but they do it for the good of other people. Other people in their church, other people in their community, and that's what Christ is talking about. When you say you love people, there is a price to that. There is a sacrifice that has to be made. We make that sacrifice for our children, we make that sacrifice for our spouse, we make that sacrifice for our family. When when my mother was dying with cancer, I was in seminary, I left school something seminary students are not supposed to do. I left school, and I went home to change my mother's diapers, to clean up after the mess, to keep my dad from falling apart. Did I want to do that? No. No man wants to see his mother fall apart like that at the very end of her life. Why did I do it? Because I love her. I loved her then. I love her now. That's why you do it. Why do you put up with aging parents? My daughter has to put up with me. One, I can't hear. That's why I'm so loud. That's why I'm good at this job. I'm loud. At home, she has to say things 10 times to me. Why does she put up with me? Because she loves me. Why does my wife put up with me and the crazy things I have to do? Because she loves me. That's the sacrifice of love. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to make a sacrifice. And it's for love. Let's go back up to John. We are in John 12, and we are in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There's a reason why we serve Jesus. There's a reason why we share the gospel. There's the reason why we hand out tracts. There's a reason why our testimony is so important. Because it points people from us to the Father. There was once a little kid who sat in church. And he sat right in front of the pastor. Behind the pastor was a beautiful stained glass window. It was of the cross. It was of the doves. It was of the heavens opening up. And that cross filled the church with light. One day, as the pastor was waving his arms and yelling and screaming, the little boy turned to his mother and said, Mommy, the pastor is blocking the cross. And of course, no one laughed because it was true. The pastor's physical visage was in front of the cross. But sometimes pastors can block the cross by drawing attention to other things. Church is no place for politics. Can I get an amen? It's no place for social conversation. There's one reason the church exists to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It is that message that for 2,000 years has drawn people from darkness into light. That's why it exists. So He says, Where I am, my servant will be. Where was Jesus? with the brokenhearted, with the sinner, with the filthy, with the dirty, with the outcast, with those who were estranged from God. He didn't hang around with Pharisees and Sadducees and the holy people. He hung out with people who needed the gospel, who needed love, who needed that attention. That's where we are. We are with common, everyday people because that's all we are. We were sinners. Now we are saved by grace and we are saints. All we are is hungry people who found food, showing other hungry people where the dinner is. That's all our job is. That's all being a Christian is really about. Jesus says this in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus was about to die. The worst death. That a person could die. He was going to be nailed to a cross. He was going to hang there probably for up to six days. And after six days, you would either die of dehydration or you would die of suffocation. It was a horrible, horrible way to die. Why do it? He says, what am I going to say? Lord, save me from this. He says, but this is why I came to this hour. Jesus came. He was born. He was raised. And for three years, he ministered so that he could die. I mean, aren't all of us expected to walk in the footsteps of our fathers? If Jesus was willing to die so that others could live, shouldn't we be the same? Shouldn't we risk being rejected? Shouldn't we risk being turned away? Shouldn't we risk someone looking at us strangely because we say, He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. Shouldn't we risk that? Because their eternal souls are on the line. Jesus was going to die because if he didn't, we were were all without hope. No one could get to heaven without Jesus because he is that perfect sacrifice that Easter represents. Easter's coming up, y'all. It's coming up quick. But he goes on. Not only do we know there's a price to love, but there is a preciousness to light. If you've ever had an accident where you were temporarily blinded, if you've ever been in a car accident or anything, and they had to bandage your eyes for some reason, or you were in an industrial accident where you got a piece of steel in your eye or something. I used to work in a factory, and guys would come in all the time with their with one eye patched up because they got a piece of steel in it, and they had to get the steel out, and they had to protect it, and, and guys walking around with one eye trying to do a job that requires two. It was crazy. You don't know how precious light is Till you're stuck in darkness. Whenever we have a power outage here and you are in complete darkness, you got to grow up through the house till you find a flashlight, a lighter, or a candle. Hopefully you find the lighter than the candle. You're in total darkness, and that's how people are. Look at this, John 12, 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said, oh, it's thundering out of a clear sky. It's thundering. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for all of you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world to be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And this he said to signify what kind of death he was about to die. He did not want anyone to be confused. He didn't want anyone to be mistaken. When he was crucified, he wanted them to know that he knew it first. He knew how he would die. He knew what that death looked like. He knew what it involved. And he wanted the disciples to know he knew it in advance. And he chose to die anyways. How many times have we read that people were going to kill Jesus? They were going to stone him and it says he passed by them unseen. He just walked away. Jesus could have walked away. At this point right here, they're planning to kill Lazarus. They're planning to kill Jesus. He could walk away, but he didn't. Why? Because there's a price to love. There's a price to love that only the son of God could pay. So if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. Uh, there's a friend of mine at U of H, and he's Catholic, and I, I'm, I'm Protestant, but now I have a cross on, and I always wear a cross at work. His cross is the same size as mine, but it has Jesus on it. Do you know why Jesus is on the crucifix? To remind people what price was paid for their salvation. We have an empty cross because Jesus rose from the dead. That cross is empty now. He was victorious, but I totally respect The fact that they have Jesus on a cross because it reminds them there is a price paid for your freedom. And that price was love. Let's keep going. So he says this, the voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of the world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. Down to verse 34. Then the crowd replied to him, we have heard from the scriptures that the Messiah will remain forever. And that's true. Go back to Isaiah. Once the Messiah establishes his kingdom, it will never end. They only understood part of the picture. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? By lifted up, they thought he meant die, and he did. He meant die. Who is this Son of Man? You see, the people made a mistake. They expected the Messiah to be a conquering general, to be a military leader. They expected the Messiah to come in on a white charger and run the Romans out of Israel. That's not how the Messiah was to come. We saw the prophecies already. The Messiah would come like a priest, humble on a donkey, on a baby donkey at that. He would come in that humble image of a high priest who would bring the sacrifice for all the sins of Israel, for all the sins of the world. So who is this son of man? They knew what it meant in the Old Testament. They knew what it meant. Because if you look at Daniel, the son of man is the Messiah. Daniel said it clear, the Son of Man is the Messiah. He's the one who will reign over Israel. So they thought, suddenly, are we talking about a different Son of Man? Oh, I'm confused. Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little while longer, six more days. Six more days you will have the light of my presence among you. Walk while you have light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going, and that's true. I walked through a house after a blackout and bumped into everything. Because you can't see. That's what he was saying. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that that you may be sons of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. He had to go gather himself one more time. Now think about this. There is a disorder of the mind called non-24. Non-24 affects people who are completely blind. Some people who are blind are legally blind. They can see shadows. They can see shapes. Someone came in my store, and they have a service dog, and that service dog is wearing its tags. Otherwise, I can't allow it in the store. But that service dog was for this person because they were legally blind. Their glasses had to be like that. They're so thick. They could see barely, but not really see well. But there are those who are completely blind. They can't even see light and dark. They only see darkness all the time. People who have this kind of blindness suffer from non-24. It means they don't know what is. Is it day? Is it night? They wake up at weird times. They can't sleep when they should be sleeping. They want to sleep when they're supposed to be awake because the world for them is always black. Let me tell you something. A lot of people in this country and around this world suffer from spiritual non 24 They suffer from a disorder where they can't even see that they're in darkness. Their world has been dark since the day they were born. They have no light. They don't even know what light looks like. And that's the terrible thing. They don't even know they're blind. So if you try to tell someone, hey, there's actually a world out here that we can see and you can't, they think you're crazy. And that's what he's talking about. While you can see, while I am casting light on you, then come to the light. Because once I'm removed from this world, the only people who will see me are those people who believe in me. Those people will receive the Holy Spirit and they will forever see because the Spirit will give them sight. He's warning them that your time is short to respond. And that's a message we should share with the world today. Time is short. What if Jesus came back today? What if he came back this moment? You have to ask yourself a question. Am I serving God? Am I willing to pay the price of love to tell people about Jesus? Because if he comes back today, I got news for you guys. I'm out of here. I'm punching the clock. I'm hitting the clouds. I'm gone. If Jesus calls me up, I'm out of here. And as far as I know, all of y'all are going with me. Amen? Amen. Hopefully. Yes. Okay. But the thing is, a lot of people that we know and love are not going with us. Because they don't know. They are still walking in darkness. They still have spiritual non-24. They can't see the light. And the thing is, that should motivate us. That should drive us. Are we walking in the light of the scriptures? I mean, here's the thing. There's so many decisions to make in life. Do I do this? Do I not do that? The people who came to me asking questions, they were asking questions that are clearly dangerous for me to answer. Am I gonna answer them? Oh yeah. But I'm going to be careful how I answer because I want them to see the truth, not see with hatred, not see with resentment, not see me as an enemy, but see me as someone who is shining a flashlight in the darkness saying, here, this is what the scripture says. This is not what I say. This is not what I think. This is not what I made up. This is the truth. And I can't change the truth. Amen. Mm -hmm. Super Bowl hasn't happened yet. It's about to. When the game is over, it's what? Over. Whoever wins, wins. Whoever loses, loses. And that's it. When Jesus calls us home, it's over. That's it. Only those people who come to Christ through revelation in the tribulation have a chance of joining us in those heavenly places. And really, the tribulation time is aimed at Israel. So unless you're a Jew and I don't know it, You may not even see what's happening. You may not even be aware of what's happening. And I can't change that. But I can tell you the truth. While there's light, look at the light. The final thing I want you to see here, the final critical consideration about how we live our life, there's a price for loving Jesus. And that price is where he goes, we go. What he goes through, we go through. There is a preciousness to this light in the world. There's a reason why the book of Acts calls this the time of the Gentiles. This is the time when God's mercy extends to the Gentile nations, to those people who are not Jewish. This is our time to share the gospel. And when this time is over, God's emphasis and and focus will shift to his chosen people of Israel, to reclaiming his people. The last thing I want you to see is there is a huge peril to rejecting Jesus. Now, this is what I often hear. I will think about Jesus later. I will think about Jesus when I'm older. I will think about Jesus after I have everything I want to have and I'm too old to enjoy anything anymore. Well, guess what, people? You never get that old. I'm like 570 and I still enjoy my life. I'm still doing good. Everything hurts and I'm a lot slower than I used to be, but I'm still here and I still love this life. You never get too old to stop enjoying and then start believing in Jesus. That didn't happen. And if Jesus came back today, your rejection has consequences. Look at this. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. Okay, Jesus has preached some of the rulers of the synagogue believe in Jesus. They believe in him. It says, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so they would not be banned from the synagogue. Remember, they have threatened. Anyone who says they believe in Jesus, you're out. That's happening in political offices around the country. Oh, you're a Christian? You're out. Oh, you're a Jesus freak? You're out. It's happening in this country to people who confess to be Christians. It's happening to teachers who won't teach evolution. Evolution. It's happening to scientists who say the universe is not billions of years old. Heck, scientists just said that they were wrong. They said the universe is younger than they thought. This is atheists saying, oops, we got the numbers wrong. It's a little bit younger than we thought. Okay, if they made that mistake, how many other mistakes have they made? These people who were believing were important people. Two people who believed in Jesus who were rulers of Israel, you already know their names. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night to find out how to be born again Joseph of Arimathea is the one who would take Jesus's body and bury it both members of the Sanhedrin both ruling elders of Israel they believed but they were terrified to say it because they were terrified to suffer the consequences now they didn't reject Jesus but they just didn't know how to say it and carry on their lives. For they loved praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in the one who sent me. It's not about Jesus. It's about God, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of the Hebrew scriptures, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Understand that Jesus is the representative of God Almighty. So when you reject him, you reject God. And that's a serious thing to consider. Oh, I believe in God. I just don't believe in Jesus. Sorry, doesn't work that way. You can't embrace one and reject the other. It doesn't work. It's bad logic. And Jesus just called you out. Here it says right here. For the one who believes in me, believes not in me, but in the one who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't accept my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. If you've never underlined verse 48, underline it understand this how can God be so judgmental no it's not God who's judgmental God has told people the law you all know the law if you're going 80 miles an hour on a 60 mile an hour road and a cop pulls you over you busted why you broke the law you knew you were breaking the law don't cry about it take your punishment which is however many hundred dollars you got to pay in the ticket God told you, there's me, and there's only me. Now I'm sending you my son. My son's going to save you, but you have to trust him. You know what? Jesus said, he who believes in me will never perish, but have everlasting life. So if you choose not to believe Jesus, does Jesus have to condemn you? No. The very law that has been laid out for you judges you. You are judged by the words that God has sent to all his people. For I have not spoken on my own, but my father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. Now, people always bug me because they go, all you do is read the Bible. That's not very creative. Why don't you create something? Because I'm not stupid. God sent his words to save men. Now, if I read his words, then I'm off the hook, right? I've done my job. I've told you what needs to be told. Now, I try to explain it the best I can with my limited faculties. But here's the deal. You've seen the word of God. You've heard it. That's what the world needs. The world needs to know they have to choose. Choose to accept or choose to reject. You go, oh, no, no. I haven't rejected him. I'm still thinking about it. To say no now is to say no forever. You reject Jesus now. You may not have a later to accept him. People have come to Christ at 70 or even 80 or 90. Famous atheists on their deathbed have said, My greatest fear is that I have fought God and lost. I have fought God and lost. They realized it at the end of their lives, but they felt like it was too late for them to do anything about it. They were wrong. Even the great atheists of history, had they called out to God for mercy on their deathbed, would have been forgiven because that is the grace of God. That is the mercy of God. He never closes the door until you draw that last breath. Then whatever you said goes. In life, you know, Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. Human beings are different. We say, Lord, not your will, but my will be done. That's exactly what God does. Oh, you don't want me? Cool. You want to reject my offer? That's good. You don't want my heaven? Good. See ya. You made the choice. You paddled your own canoe right over the abyss of the Tartarus into that deepest, darkest place of hell reserved only for those who reject God. That's exactly what he's saying here. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. That's exactly what it is. You see, the peril of rejection is tremendous. You can't put off Jesus because you don't know how long you have. How many people that we all know left somewhere on a Sunday, were driving home, and it was over before they got there? It happens. But God gives us this moment, this sacred hour for eternal life. He gives us this moment, this chance, to say yes to him and that's all God can do that's all the Lord can do is give us this hour of light this hour to see Jesus is going to be dead in six days he is telling them now this is your time I am telling you the truth I am not going to be your judge but everything I have said that comes from the father will judge you are we proud to confess Jesus as Lord Are we proud to say he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life? No one comes to the Father except by him. Are we proud to say that? Because, you know, it says in the scriptures, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto life. The gospel seems offensive to people who want to live life on their own terms. We can't change that. But if we don't even tell them, then they have no chance To make that choice they have no chance to say yes to God and here's the thing all of us are just farmers all y'all just farmers got news for you your job is to sow seeds God cultivates the field he cultivates the field of every life of every person you've ever met God works the field You throw out the seed, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what happens to the harvest is not your issue. It is God's issue. It's the Holy Spirit's issue. You do your job, farmer. You throw that seed, and everything else is in the hands of the master. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's pray.